So I want to do something today that should be simple, but is deceptively difficult. Should be easy. I think it is deceptively difficult. And that thing that I want to do that should be easy, but I think is deceptively difficult, is I want to preach on the topic of giving, but I want to do it from an Old Testament passage. I want to do it specifically from like the Old, Old Testament, like, like the law of Moses, like Mosaic law, first five books, like I'll just say it, Leviticus. So I want to do something that should be easy but is deceptively difficult, and that is preach on the topic of giving, but do it from Leviticus, which is part of the Mosaic law, the law of, of Moses. Why do I say that's deceptively, deceptively difficult? What's hard about that? Uh, the first thing you need to know is, for a lot of preachers, that's not difficult at all. Uh, there are many, many preachers, you need to know, I'm sort of saying this out front, you need to know, there are many, many preachers that uh, don't bat an eye at that. They don't struggle with that, they don't wrestle with that, they don't lay, lie awake at night, uh, they don't overthink things, like your pastor does, okay? And so there are many, in fact, you may have been in those services where they are perfectly comfortable opening up the Old Covenant, right? The Old Testament to the children of Israel. They open up Malachi 3.10. They said, Malachi 3.10 says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Tithe means 10% of your income. That's the command to an ancient Israelite. That's the command to you. They open up Leviticus. They open up Leviticus. They point to chapter 27, verse 30, and they say, a tithe is holy unto the Lord. Tithe means 10%. And so if the ancient Israelite under the old covenant was obligated to give 10% to the Lord, you, New Testament Christian, are obligated to give 10% to the Lord. What is the problem? That's the word of God. It's right there. And if it's in the word of God in the Old Testament in, in, in Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 or whatever I said earlier, uh, if that's where it says tithe, then that's what it means. Let's give. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Roll, tithe, roll. Let, you know, pass the plate and we all go home. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Right? So the word of God says it. I believe it. What's the problem with that? The problem is, if you are a thoughtful Christian, then when a preacher opens up Leviticus 27 and says, a tithe is holy to the Lord, that's the command to ancient Israel, therefore New Testament Christian, that's the command to you, slams it shut and rolls on. If you are a thoughtful person hearing that, you say, wait just a minute. That brings up a lot of questions about how you, a New Testament believer, how you read and interpret the Old Testament text. Uh, so when a preacher says, God commanded in Leviticus to tithe, so we should tithe, you open yourself up to some objections. Have you ever heard a sermon like that and you wanted to stop and raise your hand and say, yes, but preacher, in that exact same book, in Leviticus 19, verse 19, it also says, Thou shalt not wear a garment woven of two types of material. Any cotton poly centers up in here this morning? Eh? Uh, how about this one? Um, thou, uh, uh, do, do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. I, I don't even know. <laughs> I thought that was barbecue. Like, what is that? Okay, yeah. Uh, do, thou shalt not eat shellfish. 
You can't eat shellfish. How about this one? In the same book, in Leviticus, where it says, thou shalt not, in the same book, it says, thou shalt not cut the hair of your heads at the temples. In other words, you cannot cut your sideburns. So preacher, I hear you opening up Leviticus and talking about tithing, but you're doing it while preaching in a cotton poly shirt with a nice tight fade, and I seen you at shrimp basket. Don't be lying. You eating them crustaceans. So which is it? Do, is, do you get to pick and choose these we have to follow, these we don't have to follow anymore? And why is it that you pick these and not these? Well, these we don't have to follow anymore. But this one we have to follow. Why? Because it's about money. Convenient. Right? Now, should you think that this is something that they discuss in ivory towers and theologians talk about this? And should you think, oh, great. Pastor Tom's going to give this like doctrinal discursus on how the Old Testament, how New Testament believers should deal with the Old Testament law. Oh, great, snooze fest. Wake me up when this is over. Yawn. Should you think that this is some sort of, some sort of niche uh, issue, some sort of, uh, you know, theological quibble? Oh, no, think again. This gets real. In fact, if this hasn't already come up, you've been asked this question I bet you've been asked this question already. You've had these thoughts. What do you do with some of these Old Testament Mosaic law commands? Don't you have a friend, a family member, or a coworker uh, who, um, I'll give you a great example. Hasn't, uh, no one's ever come up to you and said, hey, you say you're a Christian. Yeah, so you believe the word of God? This feels like a trap, but yeah. <laughs> Well, then how come, maybe they're Seventh-day Adventists, or, or maybe, maybe they're, they're not even, Seventh-day Adventists is within Christianity, but, or maybe they're Jehovah Witness, outside of the bounds of, of even being a Christian, and they come to you and say, uh, well, the, honor the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is Saturday, and I've seen you working on a Saturday. Now, how is it, and that's not like, that's not like buried, I'm told there's 613 of these Mosaic laws. I've never counted them, but I've always been told there's 613 laws in the, Mosaic, in the law of Moses law code. Um, uh, but, but the first 10 of those are the most famous. We call them the 10 commandments. That one about Sabbath is not buried at number like 604. That's like number four. And yet you don't follow the Sabbath. What's up? Do you have a good answer for that? What do you tell them? I tell you where it really gets real, if you haven't had this happen already, I've, I heard this all the time. This was a very common objection. And people would tell me this as if it just sort of mic drop into the discussion. I summarily disagree with their logic, but on the surface, you see why they would say this, and that's members of the LGBT community that, that feel like Christians are judging them and against them, they would say something like this. They would say, now wait a minute, that preacher down the street said, Leviticus says homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord, but that same preacher eats shellfish and shaves his hair. So I guess, I guess they just sort of pick and choose. Well, if we're going to pick that one, why, why didn't we pick this one? Mic drop, you know. Now, you know, if they're my friend, and I pick, okay, Mike not drop, Mike pick back up, Mike dust off, let's keep talking. But nonetheless, you see on the surface, you see what they're, right? Don't you see? Isn't that a compelling? Let me tell you where it gets real, realist of, realist. Is uh, many of you started a read through the Bible in a year plan? And right now, it's already crazy enough because you're in the soap opera called Genesis. 
<laughs> but it is about to get into the law of Moses and the holiness code, and you're going to read some stuff, and it's about to get real. So as you're reading along, and you read, thou shalt not wear a garment of two types of material, what are you going to do with that? Better yet, those of you with children or grandchildren, and they're reading through the Bible, and their little children's Bible, and they get to Leviticus 19, verse 19, and they read, thou shalt not wear a garment woven of two types of material, and they put down their little precious moments Bible in horror. And they reach back at their collar and they pull it out and it says 50-50 cotton poly blend. And they come running in and they ask you, Mom, look what I read. This is in the word of God. Am I in sin to wear this shirt? What are you gonna say? Because if you say, oh no, honey, it's not sin. Then they say, whew, so the things that are written in the word of God, we don't have to obey. Great, thanks, gonna go steal. Like, who, mm, mm. But it, so you can't say no, but if you say yes, you got a bigger problem, don't you? Yes. And you better go find a heifer and a spotless lamb. We are going to Jerusalem right now. Where there's some atoning in the temple. It needs to happen. It's gonna get bloody. Come on. You have other issues, right? So which is it? Not, not so simple a question. See what I mean? Deceptively simple. So you may know that I'm, when I'm really stuck on something, I will, um, in preparing a message, I will talk it out with people. And so I'll have these conversations, and I'll just talk about this with people. And you need to also know that when I say people, I mean Jackie. <laughs> and so I had this whole conversation, and I'm like, so, so Carson, our nine-year-old, if he came to you, Jackie, if he comes to you having read Leviticus 19.19, and he says, so is it a sin to wear a garment of two types of material? It's in the word of God. Is it a sin or not? Do you know what you'd say? And unhesitatingly, she said, absolutely. And I was like, well, all right, then. That's what I need. I need help here. What would you say? She said, I'd pull him close. I'd look him in the eyes, and I'd say, Carson, you need to ask your father because he is very, apparently very passionate about this topic. Right? <laughs> I said, babe, I can't tell the church that story. You know, you know the word. You said, you know. And she says, oh, no, tell it. It will make me look resourceful. <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> So, but the question is there. I want everybody to see. This is a legit question. And if, if you've not yet dealt with this question, and, and, and so I thought, well, let's put the question up here so everybody can see exactly what we're dealing with. How should New Testament believers read, interpret, and apply Old Testament verses, especially those verses about the law of Moses? I mean, there's plenty of stuff in the Old Testament that's narrative and story, and I'm not so much concerned with that. I'm talking about those 613 laws of Moses like we find in Leviticus how should New Testament believers read and interpret and apply? And yes, for the record, this, okay, programming note. I do want to preach a sermon about giving. What is commonly in Christian vocabulary called tithing. I think that word should come with an asterisk, a footnote, and a warning label. Um, because tithing, so the New Testament teaches percentage giving. If and when that percent happens to be 10%, then technically that percentage is called the tithe. So I'm not saying we have to like ban this word from our vocabulary. In fact, if, if you go online, so tithing is the spiritual discipline practiced by Christians wherein a percent of God's money is returned to God through the local church. So you write a check to First Baptist Church Coleman. You write that as an offering giving to the Lord through the local church. If that happens to be 10% of your income, technically it's tithe. If you go online, that's why you'll see tithes and offerings. I'm not saying we scrub all that language. What I'm saying is this. 
as I began getting deeper and deeper into this question of, you know, when we talk tithe, I really think we need to understand exactly what we're talking about. You are not under an Old Testament obligation when it comes to this. And, I, and so the more I started, and I thought, well, I, but I've got to know this. And to be a responsible handler of God's word, I've got to make sure if we're going to do this responsibly, I don't think you can just pick up Leviticus and go, ancient Israelites were told to tithe, so you tithe. I think it'd be much more responsible. Let's lay the groundwork for how do we relate to the Old Testament first, then let's talk about giving. Giving. The problem is, as one thing led to another and another, my introduction got so big, it takes up a whole sermon. And it did. So uh, that's what you're gonna get. And then next week, we'll talk about giving. So to everyone who came today who is disappointed that we're not getting the giving sermon until next week, sorry for the you know, head fake, but it, you'll get it. Ne- I didn't mean a bait and switch, but that's what we're doing today. So we're first looking, and I think that's the more responsible way for a pastor. Okay, let's make sure we're all on the same page. Some of you will know this, but let's make sure we're all on the same page when it comes to how a New Testament Christian should read and interpret and apply the Old Testament verses. In other words, you're going through your Bible. You come to these Old Testament laws. What are you supposed to do with them? Tithing and all the rest of them. What do you do with the laws of Moses? Okay. To get an answer, you've got to ask first, well, what are the purposes of the law? Before you know what to do with anything, you've got to know what it's made for. Whether it's a can opener or a lawnmower, before you know what to do with something, you've got to ask, what is this thing made for? What is its purpose? So, we do, so we've got to ask, okay, what was the purpose of the law? Why was the law given? And we get an answer. We're not the, we're not the first Christians to wrestle with this question, obviously. They've been wrestling with this since, since the whole thing, since the resurrection. So... We get in, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, and I'll put it up here on the screen. 2 Timothy 3.16 is like a key that unlocks the treasures of the Old Testament. It gives us no fewer than four purposes of the law. Why do I say it gives us four purposes of the law? Because the same purposes of the law of Moses are the same purposes for all Scripture, it says. Look at what Paul says. Start here. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And then he'll tell you it's profitable for four things, at least, four purposes. But let's just start with all scriptures breathed out by God. That means every page of your Bible is the inspired, infallible word of God. The Old Testament, the New Testament, it's all the word of God. And I love that, breathed out by God, spoken by God. It goes back to what I said a couple weeks ago. If you wanna hear from God, guys, lean in, listen. He sent us a text message. But notice all scripture, Old Testament, and New Testament. It's all inspired. Uh, in fact, if you think about it, when Paul was writing that in 2 Timothy 3, what's interesting to me is when he said all scripture, what do you think he meant by that? He probably meant the Old Testament, mostly. Why? Because he didn't have all the New Testament. Uh, the book of Mark had been circulating at that point, we think, and maybe a couple others, but he didn't have, I can tell you one New Testament scripture he didn't have when he wrote that in 2 Timothy 3. He didn't have 2 Timothy 4. Right? He was writing it. Does that make sense? So it's incredible to me that he speaks all Scripture, Old Testament, and prophetically all Scripture, New Testament. It's all the inspired Word of God. And here's what it can do. Teaching. Four things. If you're a note taker, you can probably predict. This is going to be the outline. We're going to walk through these. You can also predict. We're going to spend a long time on teaching. We'll move quickly through the rest. Teaching. What, what does teaching mean? See it? Uh, teaching us what? Teaching us who God is. Teaching us who we are. Reproof, what does that mean? Rebuke. It means conviction. It means you read the word of God and it's like a mirror. Oh, here's the standard. Here's the holiness. I haven't lived up. Correction, how to get back right with God. 
and training in righteousness. What's the point? That the man of God may be, and this of course, men and women, he means it, right? To be maybe anybody can be complete, equipped for every good work. I want you equipped for the good work of giving. I want you equipped for every good work. My fear is before we talk about giving, are you properly equipped? Let's don't dive into an expedition in Leviticus without some proper gear. Let's, let's understand how we're gonna use this. Let's get properly equipped. Somebody said it like this, teaching, reproof, correction, and, right, and uh, training in righteousness. Think of it as, as this way. Teaching, this is the path. Rebuke or reproof. You are off the path. Correction. Here's how to get back on the path. Training. Here's how to remain on the path. See? That's what the law of Moses can do. So let's take them one at a time, and that'll frame the outline of this whole message. What, why the Old Testament law? What is a Christian supposed to do when they come to a verse like Leviticus 19.19? What are we supposed to do? First thing, the law was given for teaching. Ask yourself, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about the children of Israel? What does this teach me about myself? But most of all, that first one, what does this teach me about God? Paul says it this way. In Galatians 3.24, he uses this illustration. He says, therefore, the law was our tutor. I think the old King James says, our schoolmaster. The ESV says, our guardian. To bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the Old Testament law has a teaching element. Uh, but but I, like, I like tutor. It's personal. It's kind of one-on-one. A guardian, right? A schoolmaster. Uh, if, you, if your kid needs a little extra help in math, you get him a math tutor. Well, if you need a little help in how to relate to the holy God, you give him a Leviticus tutor. See? The law of Moses is God's tutor to help baby toddler Israel. Why do I say that? Think about when the law was given. When was the law given to the children of Israel? Was it given to them while they were still slaves in Egypt? Did God say, hey, uh, Israel, I see you struggling, and I know you're slaves in Egypt. Here's the deal. I've got 613 laws. If you will prove, give me, I don't know, like, let's say like 40 years. If you will prove that you can follow these laws, or like, I, I don't know, like two-thirds of it. I'll grade on the curve. But if you can follow most of these laws for like 40 years, here's my deal. Then, and only then, if you can prove your worth, then I'll rescue you out of Egypt and you'll see some crazy miracles and I'll take you into a promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. You, got, like, you want to make a deal? Is that what he does? No. When Israel had no righteous standing before God, when Israel had nothing on their own out of his grace, he rescued Israel, pulled them out of Egypt, got them across the Red Sea. It's so beautiful. In Exodus 19, he says, I pulled you out on eagle's wings like a mama eagle rescuing her chicks. I pulled you out, and now that you're out, now that you're safe, now that you're saved, now that you're mine, let's have a DTR. Let's define the relationship. And then he spells out this law command. Once they are his, then he spells out the law. I want you to see grace. It's always been grace than law. The law is a gift of grace. And it has a teaching function. So it begins teaching them. And they're baby, it's baby Israel. It's little toddler Israel. Jeremiah 31 says, I led you by the hand out of Egypt. That's the language of a little toddler that can't walk yet. I led you by the hand. God is teaching Israel like a little toddler, a little baby. And what does everyone know about teaching toddlers? What does everyone know about teaching little, little kids? They do not do subtle. <laughs> They do not do nuance very well, do they? They do well with black and white, tangible, concrete, very clear instruction. 
They don't get into nuance. Uh, when um, my wife and I had toddlers in the house and we wanted to teach them about a hot stove in our kitchen, we did not use nuance. We did not say to them, okay, come here, come close. No, a little closer. I know it's hot. Come closer. This is called a convection current. <laughs> and here's how the transfer of heat and like molecules are involved. And now if you ever smell anything, that's probably the gas, natural gas. So it means the light's out. You'll need to light a pilot light. Here's how to do that. And no, none of that. Why? Because they're three. And you don't tell a three-year-old about a hot stove by going into all nuance. What is your instruction when it comes to stoves for a three-year-old? Do not touch that. Any questions? There's no nuance. There's no subtlety. You just say, run, run for your life. Don't touch that. See? Uh, this, this, also, um, this also applies not only to toddlers. This applies to when you're new at anything. They don't start with all the ins and outs complexities, whether you're learning a business or whether you're learning anything. You, you don't start with nuance. You start with tangible concrete. That's how you, um, uh, okay, so, uh, so Valentine's Day is coming up. And uh, uh, we got a lot of newlyweds. And, uh, my, you know, I, I, I myself did weddings last year. We got lots of new weddings. Congratulations if you're a newlywed. And my heart is for these grooms, okay? That, you know, this is going to be their first Valentine's Day. These, they're brand new at marriage. And, and, you know, they're, they're, and they come to me and they say, uh, Pastor, Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, I'm I, obviously a newlywed, a new groom. I want to do everything right. Um, question, Pastor. Am I obligated to get my wife flowers on Valentine's Day? With this young brother, I don't go into a lot of nuance. I don't say, now look, if you've been married 50 years and you, um, you have, you, we can talk about going beyond flowers and how it's an act of love and how you're not under the old covenant law of flowers, you're under the new covenant law of love and how it's an overflow and one day you'll see the ins and outs of that. I don't say any of that. Here's what I say. Yes. Really, is there anything you wanna add? Okay, yes, dummy. Like, that's it. There's no nuance. There's no. Exactly. Why? Because we're, ra- we're raising up somebody new. You don't teach toddlers with a lot of nuance. You go, this, kosher. Okay, got it? Clean, unclean, separate. You would teach your toddlers that way. So don't be surprised in the law of Moses when God teaches baby Israel the same way. Now, is it God's intent to relate to Israel this way forever? Is it your intent? To raise your toddler to never touch a stove? Ever? Of course not. When she's ready, right? When you want. Do, 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 do I want, do I want uh, married men in this church years later being like, I'm still under the obligation to get in the flower, you know? I, do I, I go to Jackie and ask her, all right, Valentine's Day is coming up. What, what, is the, what is the bare minimum amount I have to spend on flowers for us to remain contractually obligated to legally be lawfully wedded spouse? I have to go a florist or just like Publix, somebody dropped the, in the parking lot. Like, well, I mean, you get flowers. Is that where I want a relationship to remain? No. You say, how do you know God didn't intend for that to be the way he related his people? Because he says it in the Old Testament itself. Baked into the Old Testament is this promise in Jeremiah 31 where he says this. Behold, he says, the days are coming where I will make a new covenant 
with the house of Israel. It will not be like the old covenant when I led them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. No, it will be a new covenant. And watch this. This is beautiful. He says it also in Ezekiel. It's a couple places in the Old Testament. He says, it used to be the law was written on tablets of stone. I'm going to write the law where? I'm going to write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Isn't that beautiful? The law has a teaching function. It's a tutor. And once the tutor does its job, once that guardian does its job, its job is to get us, what? From the letter of the law to the spirit. And once Jesus came and brought the new covenant, look what Paul says. Once that happened, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Why? Because the tutor is bad and wrong. And No, 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 no. But because now we have the Holy Spirit in us, leading us, guiding us. Think of it this way. You see these people out riding bikes, these adult bikers, uh, uh, 10 speeds, and they're, they're flying along, cruising along on a 10 speed. I never see these uh, uh, f- amazing, you know, cyclists, and they're flying around the street. It's amazing. You never see them with training wheels. And you say, well, well, but training wheels aren't bad. You started with training wheels. I say, oh, yes, yes. When I first learned to ride a bike, I absolutely, when I was a little kid, I had training wheels. Well, what happened? Aren't training wheels good? Training wheels will keep you upright. Training wheels will keep you moving along the right direction. Isn't that what you want? Well, yeah. But you know what's even better than training wheels? Training wheels are never the point. Training wheels are just there acting as a tutor, a guardian, a schoolmaster. You know what's even better than the external force of a training wheel? That day that you get the internal sense of balance. And now you're riding the bike, not based on some external force, but being led by something that's within. When the Holy Spirit is leading us, we naturally follow the law of Jesus Christ to love our neighbor, to to love God supremely, and the second, to love our neighbor. Of course. But the training wheels, the training wheels remain there until what? Until the internal sense of balance comes. And when that comes, the training wheels are taken off. So we go from being under the external law code, something written on tablets, to something written on our heart, the Holy Spirit. So we're no longer under the schoolmaster of the law. It has a teaching function. Okay, so what else? So when you come to an Old Testament passage, it has a teaching function. What else? The law was also given, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, for this. Reproof. What is reproof? Uh, Rebuke. Conviction. Why, Why do we need that? Well, now we know, look at what Paul says in Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Why? Because there's so much self-righteousness going around. That's why. Because everybody has an excuse for why they do wrong. Everybody. Well, yeah, but I, man, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, but I just had a bad day. I, I did that. We, they, on death row right now, there's serial killers like, oh, I was just misunderstood. I, you know, I, come on. Everybody, you know what the definition of infinity is? Infinity is the links a human will go to justify my own sinfulness. It never ends. So you gotta have something to say, oh, come on, you're a delusion or you're kidding yourself. Here's the standard of God. Yeah, I think I can meet it. I'm pretty good. I'm better than other people. Oh, stop. The law was given so that every mouth may be stopped. Just stop with the nonsense. And the whole world held accountable to God. Whole world meaning not just Jew, Gentile too. Everybody is accountable before a holy God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We read the law and we suddenly go, this is like a mirror. In fact, think about the way the law was given in the books of the Torah. Isn't it interesting? It was never given as 613 law code all at once. It wasn't like, 
here it is. You can, this is available in Excel and Google Docs. And <laughs> no, no, no. It's interspersed. You get a little law, then you get some stories. A little more law, a little more stories. A little more law, a little more stories. And what are the stories each time? The stories are of the children of Israel totally disobeying the law of God and breaking the heart of God. Sometimes breaking the very laws that they just got, you know? Like the most notable example is they get a law, the Ten Commandments. No, no other gods, no idols. Meanwhile, let's see what the Israelites are doing. Oh, they're making a golden calf. Great, perfect. Like, you know? So, so, so you, this is, the laws are given, and in between is this sort of dumpster fire attempt at obeying the law. And when you read that, you go, they're not just talking about ancient Israel. This is, why do I feel like this is talking about me? Because you and I have been there. We've walked right out of church. We've heard the word of God or we've, we've been in some Bible study. I mean, I'm, I'm like listening to praise music on my way home. And as soon as I get home, I'm yelling at my kids. What happened? I don't get it. Why can't I, fo- why can't I follow this? I'm, I'm, I'm being convicted by this. It's like, wait a minute. This isn't just Israel's story. This is my story. That's right. The law has the reproof function. And it's meant to convict us. And it's meant to make us go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I cannot be made holy no matter how many good things I do, no matter how big my business gets, no matter how big a check I write to the church, no matter how, none of these things can make me right with the holy God. That's right. I mean, the, 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 the sacrificial system and all that, yep. So what do we do? It's the third purpose of the law. And it's my favorite. The third, correction. Built into the law was this correction property. Okay, then how do we get right with a holy God? And here's what they start doing. They start talking about temples, places, physical places where people can go to meet with God. Then they talk about sacrifices. Every Passover, a lamb was slain. A lamb was slain. Why? To show you, right? The, um, the uh, thing I said about nuance, isn't that true of the sacrificial system? God didn't come in the Old Testament to Israel and say to them, Israel, I want to talk to you about sin. Sin can be really bad and sin can destroy, sin can destroy your relationships and sin is like, like gnarly bad, can like really mess up your relationships. And so I want you to understand the nature of sin. That's not what he did. What did he do? He said, go get a lamb. Not just any lamb, a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish, a precious lamb, a lamb that your kids have now gotten to know, a lamb that your kids have actually named. Take the blood of that lamb and slit its throat and as hot blood pours out of that lamb and you're watching this bloody, vicious violence being torn apart and then offered on an altar and burned up. That's what sin does to a life. Any questions? And everybody goes, no, I get it. That's right. He's training up Israel and he's showing them with these sacrificial systems. Why? Because every sacrifice and the temple, what does it do? It is pointing. You need to be made right with God. You need to be made right with God. Like a huge flashing neon sign. Every page of the old covenant law is pointing us to the one who can make us right with God. And when Jesus of Nazareth shows up in his first public sermon, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17, he talks about the law for a little bit. And then he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, 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 no. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Paul says it this way in Romans 10. Christ is the telos, the culmination, the, the, the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. What does this mean? The whole Old Testament 
points us to Jesus Christ. There's so many examples. We can just take the obvious ones. Take the temple. Okay, so the temple in Jerusalem and the, the tabernacle before that, and there's all the specifications and there's all these rituals and everything. This is what you have to do to meet with God. You have to go to Jerusalem. You have to do this. You can enter here and you're excluded here. And it's all about the temple. When Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every law. How is Christ the fulfillment of the temple? He says in the New Testament, tear this temple down and in three days I'll raise it up. He speaks of himself as the temple. Christ has fulfilled all the temple laws because Jesus Christ is our true and living temple. He's the place now where we go to meet with God. No longer do we have to go to a a physical building in Jerusalem and go through all these rituals. You can meet with the holy God of the universe right here, right now. Why? Through Jesus Christ, our true temple. How did he fulfill the laws of the uh, sacrificial system? The Passover, for example. Every year they would kill a Passover lamb. Uh, 1 Corinthians says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain. He he died for us on Passover. He fulfilled all the ceremonial laws about Passover. Oh, what about all the sacrifices? Yes, there's all these sacrificial systems. They are to point us to Jesus. And Hebrews 10.10 says, yes, there's all these sacrifices, but Christ has died as a sacrifice once for all. I mean, the list goes on and on. What about the, what about the, uh, the Sabbath? Oh, 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 Sabbath's a big one. Uh, the Sabbath rest, you've got you've to see that you're, you're, you know, your rest is in God. So take this Sabbath day, and here's the law about Sabbath, and can't do any work, you've got to rest in God. In uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, you want to talk about real rest? Remember what he says? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Jesus Christ fulfills Sabbath. He becomes our true Sabbath for the people of God. That's why Colossians chapter 2, it says, don't let any, Christian, don't let anybody judge you about Sabbath. Don't let anybody say, why don't you follow this day? Or why don't you follow this or this feast or this fast? Don't let anybody judge you about Sabbath. Why? He says, because those were all shadows of things to come. Christ is the substance. Christ is our true Sabbath. What about the high priest? The high priest is the only way you can, you gotta go through the high priest to get to God. The high priest is a mediator between God and man. Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter four, Christ is our true high priest. The list goes on and on. You could talk about kosher food laws. I mean, why, why don't we follow the kosher food laws anymore? Christ, did you know Christ has fulfilled every kosher food law? How? In Mark 7, he points it out. All these kosher food laws were meant to tell Israel, you need to be different than all these pagan nations. You need to be holy. So the food on your plate needs to remind you, you are not following these pagan gods, okay? So much of their food is connected to religion and ritual. So you do food differently than everybody else. And they got so wrapped up in the food laws that they forgot the point, which was you are holy. So Jesus says in Mark 7, it's nothing that goes into a man that can defile him. That just goes in him and out the digestive system. No, what defiles a man is what comes from within, what comes from his heart, evil desires and greed and all that. And he says, that's what I've come to fix. And in Mark 7, the minute he said that, we get to see the fulfillment of all the kosher laws. Mark chapter 7, uh, Mark writes, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, I don't know if all his disciples believed it right then and there. They've been taught since they were little, little tiny, you know, babies. They were taught as Jews, you eat this, you don't eat this, you eat this, you don't eat this. I don't think Peter got the message till years later in Acts chapter 10 when he had that vision where the unclean and the clean food floated down on the big picnic blanket, remember? And it had all this unclean food that he was told never to eat. And the angel says, arise, Peter, take and eat. He's like, no! <laughs> and the angel tells him, don't, don't say that's unclean. That's clean. Don't call unclean what God calls clean. You remember that? And right then, uh, Peter wrote a famous hymn. 
Free from the law, oh, happy condition. There is now pork and bacon and sausage. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't write that, but, but I worked on that all week. And if you're ever wondering, like, what do I work on so hard all week? It's sadly that is, is the, really the majority. Of, and I actually wrote it. There's now pork and sausage and bacon to make bacon rhyme with condition. And I messed it up, but I got it right in the first two services. And so we, here's the point. <clears throat> He fulfilled all the laws about kosher. He fulfilled all the laws about tithing. Tithing says give 10% of your income to, to God. Jesus gave 100%. So in terms of what you are obligated to follow, you gotta understand, we, every page of the Old Testament, it points us to Christ. You are set right with God, not because of your ability or inability to follow any of, to follow any of these laws. You are 100% right with God because of Jesus Christ. You are set right with God because of his righteousness. That's why Christ is the end of the law. He fulfills it. So as you're reading the Old Testament, look for how every, every page, it seems, whispers the name Jesus. It points us, points us, points us to Jesus. But if that's it, if everything's been fulfilled in Christ and Christ is the end of the law, then, okay, then should we just like tear the Old Testament out of our Bibles? God forbid. No, no, no. Why? Because of the final point of the law. Why was the law given? Remember, teaching, rebuking, correcting, but look, training in righteousness. I don't want us to look at the law as some ob obligation. Look at what the psalmist says about God's law. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Why? Because I can see your heart in this. I see how you related to the children of Israel, and I can learn so much about you from that, and it makes me love you even more. So, 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 so some of these things do not apply to me as a New Testament Christian, but it's like, how do I say this? It's like, some, they don't apply directly to me, but they indirectly apply to me. Think of it this way. Imagine you bought a rental property, fixed up this building, and you wanted to rent it out. You with me? You want to, you know, you want to get some rental income, but you've never been a landlord before. And so you don't, you don't really know the best way to go about this. I mean, you, you, you want, I mean, what's a fair rent to charge? And how do you stipulate the, the, the lease? And I, okay. So then you remember. And you call, your, you call your buddy who's a renter. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. So you call him up. You say, hey, man, you, um, are you still renting that house? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, tell me about it. How's it going? And he says to you, oh, man, actually, it's, it's awesome. I have a great relationship with my landlord. I pay a fair amount, what I think is a fair amount of rent, and my landlord feels like it's market value, so he's happy, I'm happy. Honestly, I would say it's win-win. We have a lease agreement that spells out everything, and it's up to date, and we use it all the time, and we refer to it, and it's just a, I mean, he takes great care of the property. I try to take good care of his property. I mean, it is like, it's a great relationship. It's awesome. And you hear all that, and you're like, well, I want that, right? I want that kind of relationship. I would... That sounds great. That's what I want. I want a win-win. Oh, yeah. So you ask him, um, did you say, you say you had a lease? Oh, yeah, that lease governs our, our, uh, our covenant with each other. It's, it's been great. It's a really helpful document. Well, what, what are you logically going to ask? Well, uh, it sounds like you have a great relationship that's spelled out in a lease. Uh, you, reckon there's any, you reckon there's any chance maybe I, I could, uh, you reckon I could get a copy of that lease? Oh, yeah, it's no problem. I'll send it right over. So you get a copy of the lease, and you read over it. Why? That lease doesn't apply to you. You say, well, yeah, Tom, it doesn't apply to me, but it totally applies to me. 
No, you're not, you're not a tenant. That, that's not in agreement with you. You've got your own covenant. You've got your own agreement. It's a law of love. Yeah, but, but then why do you want to see that? Well, okay, well, okay, that's not my address. My address is different. That's not my exact, but there's a, I'm, I'm looking in here and I'm seeing all these principles and I'm extracting and wringing out all these principles that tell me how a good relationship works. And I go, oh, that's why they do that. That makes, okay, I see how you relate with him. That's how I want to relate with him. And a lot of it, quite frankly, a lot of it does transfer. A lot of it, you just copy and paste. You get it in electronic format, you copy, you change a few things, but a lot of it you carry over. Let's not forget, that's exactly what the New Testament does. A lot of the Old Covenant is absolutely carried over. Did you know that? There's all sorts of commands. Uh, 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 do not commit adultery is carried over from the Old Testament. That's in the New Testament too. Uh, uh, the... Um, uh, do not steal. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, not only do not murder, don't even be the kind of person that would want to murder. Have hatred in your heart, you see? So he expands on it. But there's so much of the New Testament. Uh, in fact, that's a, a simple um, uh, response to someone who says, well, the Old Testament is against homosexuality, but, uh, you know, that was the Old Testament. Well, then what do you do with 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, which lists homosexuality among others, by the way. It's certainly not the only sin, but it's clearly reiterated in the New Testament. Why? I mean, if, if, if that's your issue, let's don't even appeal to Leviticus. Uh, let's just uh, let's go straight to 1 Timothy 1 or, or Romans 1, for example. And the list could go on and on. In fact, nine of the ten commandments are reiterated in the New Testament. And you can probably guess the one that's not. Commandment 4, Sabbath. That one is abrogated. Hebrews chapter 8 says the old covenant is obsolete. And so nine of the ten are reiterated in the New Testament, right? So we're now under the law of Christ. And Christ said his law, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you follow these two commands, you'll quite naturally follow the spirit of the law of the Old Testament. That's it. It's meant to help us train in righteousness. For everything that we read in Leviticus that's not directly cut and paste, it still has value. Why? Because you want to extract the principles that can transform our own life. So when you think about how to use our money or giving to the church or any other thing like that. No, we're not obligated in the same sense the ancient Israelites were, but we are obligated to the law of Christ, which is the law of love. And we want to extract all the principles we can. So, I mean, since I've, I, I thought the way to close it, I've teased it the whole message. We might as well put it up here. Leviticus 19.19. So still, like, for those of you that are like, yeah, but like, can we wear the shirt or not? Because, uh, you know, you do all this thinking and there's somebody that's like, so I don't get it. Can we wear the shirt or not? I kind of thought, I better not leave a cliffhanger there. I better deal with the shirt issue. So let's do that. Leviticus 19.19. How do you read this? Okay. Or your kid comes to you and says, how, how, how do I read this? We can do it super quick. Okay. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. So your kid comes to you and says, well, and some of you are farmers, and, and so they would ask you, well, wh then why did we do that? We've broken all three of them. Those of you that aren't farmers, you've just break the last one, okay? And they come to you and they go, why? why? Why are we allowed to do this? What do you do? You go to 2 Timothy 3.16, you pull out the key that unlocks the treasure of this verse. And you say, well, son, sit down. Well, daughter, sit down. This scripture was giving for teaching, rebuke, correcting, training in righteousness. What does this verse teach us about God? Can't wear a shirt woven of two types of material. Doesn't it teach us that God was about to send his children into a land where there was all sorts of pagan gods 
And he knew how tempting it is to take a little bit of God and a little bit of Baal. A little bit of God and a little bit of Canaan. A little bit of purity, but a little bit of licentiousness. A little bit of generosity, oh, and a little bit of greed. God doesn't like that mixing like that. A little bit of grace and a little bit of my own works. A little bit of love, but there are certain people, I'm sorry, I'm, see that? Jesus says, be, look, man, be hot or be cold. Lukewarm makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. I like hot tea and I like iced tea. But lukewarm tea, don't, don't mix. That teaches us something about the heart of God. Rebuke. So, have you ever, uh, you ever lived a life that was, you had to admit was kind of mixed? Yeah. You know how, like, you wanted to be super truthful, but you also held a little bit of a lie? Yeah. You know how, like, sometimes you, you wanted to share all your toys, but sometimes you, you wouldn't share your best ones? Yeah. So you wanted to be all gods, but you were also a little bit for yourself? Yeah. Well, you know what? Mommy and Daddy are in the same boat. We've done that too. So we've all kind of broken this, haven't we? Yeah. Rebuke. Correction. But you know, you know there was one who never mixed, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, Mommy. Do you know who he was? Yes. How do you know? Because the answer to all your questions is Jesus. Good, good. There was one who was never mixed. He, was, he, had, a, he had a 100% heart for God with no mixture of impurity. He loved God. He was fully devoted to God and gave no, no thought to his own selfishness. If, if he wore a garment, you could say that garment, oh, that was a garment of praise. That was a garment of righteousness. That garment was 100% right standing with God. And do you know that if you are in Christ, the Bible says you are robed in his righteousness. And on the cross, he took off that perfect robe of righteousness so he could wrap it around you. Now, how does that make you feel? Oh, mom, that makes me want to love him. Makes me want to love God even more. I know, mommy and daddy are the same way. Now, training in righteousness, what are we going to do? Does that mean I need to go through my drawer and pull out every shirt and that's, that's cotton poly bin and throw it away? No. It means you need to go through your heart and throw away every habit that's not completely God's. Think you can do that? Yeah. Why? Because you're legally obligated under the old covenant? No. Because I love him. That's it. The musicians are going to come and uh, I... I mean, before we give the invitation, I say almost, I guess, as a defense, the only last thing I could think to say is, why would a preacher do this? Like, why would, why would I spend a whole sermon, multiple sermons, one might argue, uh, setting up a verse about giving from Leviticus that takes like 20 seconds to read? You'll see next week. They're like, that's it? That's, you could have just preached that why here's why because i have this burden and maybe you felt it too that for far too long too many christians that god has set free and if if the son sets you free you are free indeed and yet there are so many christians free blood-bought born again ransomed and redeemed people of god that still walk in the legalism and the crushing condemnation of bondage to some set of laws they think they have to follow to please god and there are some people who, if you don't do a whole sermon on this like I just did, and I want you to go back and watch it till you get it, they'll come next week and they'll hear just one more message that you need to give and you're not enough. And that is just simply not 
It's been fulfilled in Christ. And so the motive for giving, the motive for every good work is love. And you don't need to give one red cent out of condemnation or guilt. What, what, what good is guilt going to do? And it says in 2 Timothy, the law was given, all scripture was given. Remember the, the, the verse 17, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. And I want us properly equipped for giving, but also for every good work. Otherwise, your good giving might lead to more and more self-righteousness. Oh, but when we have this gospel understanding of the new covenant, everything we do comes out of this love motivation. Okay, let's pray. God, grant to us wisdom. Grant to us uh, knowledge. And help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, thank you that your entire Bible, cover to cover, is your word. And thank you, Lord, for your Old Testament laws you gave to Moses for the people of Israel. Thank you, God, for all the training and righteousness that we still glean. And thank you that every year, every time we go back through a read the Bible plan, every single time we get something new, some new treasure. We see some facet of the great jewel of Scripture in a new light. And most of all, thank you that every page points us to Jesus and allows us to talk and to think about the gloriousness of Jesus Christ even more and more. Thank you for that, God. Grant to us that we would not have hearts woven of two different loves, a love for you and a love for the world. God, grant us that, that we are robed in the righteousness of Christ and that our, the, the Holy Spirit inside of us leads us into obedience to you out of great love. And God, as you prepare us to hear a word about giving from Leviticus next Sunday, God, uh, grant to us that we would hear it in the proper fashion, that we would be properly equipped for every good work. We ask all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.